Lord Jesus, we come recognizing the amazing worthiness of you, that you alone are worthy of our praise. God, we lift our voice to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the cross. Apart from the cross, we have no hope. Thank you. Overwhelm us with a sense, Lord, of what it means to be filled with gratitude to you, almighty God. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 I invite you to be seated, and as you are, I'll release the children through grade four as they head off to their classes and the teachers that are ready for them. And I'd invite all of us to turn to Jonah chapter two. We're going to be looking at Jonah today, Jonah chapter two. I've been on a bit of a journey with the Lord over the past few weeks and just As we step into the Thanksgiving season, my heart, as I came to him, was wanting to be thankful in a a way that was different than I ever have been before. Have you ever sought the Lord for something like that, that maybe you could know him more intimately, that you could be more thankful, that you could be more loving? And so I I said, Lord, I, I, I long to be more thankful this year and to have my thanks be more pure. And so many times I think in my life as I look back, I can see where my thankfulness was, was laced around the things that made me feel good, you know, and I was thankful for the things that made me feel good, but maybe the things that didn't make me feel good I wasn't necessarily all that thankful for. And uh, a lot of times the thankfulness I had in my life were for the things that helped me even if they didn't necessarily help someone else. And so as I, as I sought the Lord in that and as I prayed, I, I really felt he was leading me to Jonah. And Jonah chapter 2 specifically. Now, I don't know. I think we've all, has anybody here not heard the account of Jonah? Anybody not aware of what that is? Okay, so we can, we can go over that. And, and we understand that Jonah was a prophet and that he was... He was sent by God to go to Nineveh and proclaim the truth of who God was and the judgment that was going to come, and, and he decided to run from that, and, and then he, he got thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish, and, and then he was spit up by the fish, and then he went to Nineveh and proclaimed the, the truth that God had told him to, and, and the city repented, and they turned to the Lord. And, and then Jonah was a little upset about that at the end of the book. And sometimes I think we'd, I don't know about you, but I'd like to know the rest of the story. And I have great confidence that one day we will know the rest of the story of Jonah if God so chooses to have us know that. But I've often wondered how this all ended for him. But in the middle of Jonah chapter 2, right at the last few verses, I think, come the verses that the Lord laid on my heart. Those, starting with verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And I think within these verses today, as we unpack these, we're going to be able to find that there's a way for us to enter into Thanksgiving with a different focus this year that might just impact not only our lives, 
for the lives of all the people around us. So our big idea for today is that salvation gives us a song of thanksgiving. Salvation gives us a song of thanksgiving. And, and uh, you know, some people have wondered whether or not this account of Jonah was true. So I have a picture that shows that it is. Um, we actually saw the, the fish. Um, and if you're wondering, yes, I asked Karen before I put this picture up. Okay, but... We were actually in Israel. We had uh, the blessing of being able to be there. And this, this picture was actually taken there in Jaffa where Jonah ran to. And, and this is a statue that's there. I think the real fish was probably slightly bigger. But it's just uh, really special to be able to be there. And, um, and the, the couple that, that uh, led our trip, John and Arlene, uh, that was before they started becoming part of our church. And so we were able to be there and we were able to see the actual place where this happened and, um, and this statue that's been put there. So I'm going to invite Arlene to come up because I've asked her to speak to this a little bit um, so that we can understand what Jonah may have been thinking a little bit. But at the same time, I'm going to give a shameless plug for a trip that Arlene and John and I are taking to Israel next April and to invite each one of you to consider being a part of it. Now, the deadline is the end of November. We don't have enough people signed up at this point. But if some of you want to be a part of it, you can get information out at the Welcome Center. If we get enough people to sign up by the end of April, we'll go, or by the end of November, we'll go. And if we don't, we won't. And we're fine either way. But we'd love to have you come because... The Bible changes when you're in Israel, right? It comes alive. I've asked Arlene to talk to us, and you may know that Arlene teaches a lot of times for us here and helps us understand the Old Testament with great clarity. And so I've asked her to talk to us because a lot of times we try to imagine what it would be like to be Jonah, but we can't understand that if we don't know what Jonah was thinking. So as he says, salvation comes from the Lord, He was looking before the cross, and so he would have been thinking about it maybe a little differently than us, but in some ways, exactly the same. So Arlene's going to help us with some of those diagrams. Thanks, Arlene. Friends, uh, in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, the Lord paints for us a portrait of what the Messiah would be. And we learn so much from the details and the precision that are written. Uh, We're going to especially focus on what the Law of Moses had to say about a sacrifice of thanksgiving today. So perhaps we could have that first slide. And you have these diagrams in your bulletin. We hope that will be helpful to you. The first deliverance, the deliverance, the redemption, as you know, of the children of Israel out of Egypt came through the blood of the Passover lamb. The blood of that lamb, unblemished, perfect, had to be placed over the doorpost of the children of Israel. And those who understood that and did that would be delivered from the uh, death brought by the angel of death that passed over their homes. Then after they are part of the of the nation that is called out by God through which he will reveal himself to the world, give us the scriptures, and bring to us our Messiah. Uh, This nation was given a place of worship where they could learn what it meant to draw near to God. 
to not just stay on the fringes, but to truly have a relationship with him. But as with many other things in the scriptures, we find that our God is a God of order, and there was a protocol by which the people were to learn. These are people being schooled in holiness, and they are not holy people, but they're being schooled in holiness. And so we also find that even after we have received the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior, and we know that he has redeemed us from sin and from death, nevertheless, we live in these bodies, and we often fall short. We often have to return to him. Uh, for me, it's every day. Return to him each day and ask him, Lord, is there something in my life for which I need to repent? Or perhaps I'm well aware of something of of for which I need to repent. And so this is foreshadowed for us in the plan of the tabernacle. So the children of Israel could not just walk through the gate and run right to the Holy of Holies and be in God's presence. First, they had to be willing to offer an offering, whether it be a sin or a guilt offering on the altar. This was the laver where the priests would wash their hands and feet before they would uh, assist with the offerings. And you'll notice uh, in a few minutes that they might have had to offer uh, an offering for guilt, which we'll explain in a minute, or for sin. We are invited as a redeemed people to not just stay in the courtyard. We're invited to draw near and in the days of the tabernacle, the children of Israel could only go this far. And the high priest or uh, the other priests would make uh, provision for their drawing near by being inside of a holy place. They would learn of the uh, light of life. They would learn of prayer and intercession. They would learn uh, about the bread of life, but all from afar. They could not enter themselves. And then ultimately, perhaps you're aware that once a year, the high priest and only the high priests uh, by himself would enter the Holy of Holies, which represented the very presence of God. Uh, then if we can have the next slide, slide please. Uh, and this is also in your bulletins. We will see through the sacrificial system given to us in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, we see the protocol through which uh, we draw near to God once we are believers. And so first of all, we see that we have the Passover lamb that set us free. We have received Jesus as our Savior, and we are saved from our sin. After that, we may have to offer a guilt offering or what was foreshadowed by the uh, guilt offering, in that we confess to the Lord that we know that we have done something we shouldn't have done, uh, but we were aware of it. Uh, something else we should have done and we didn't. You all know what I'm talking about because we all fall short from time to time. Uh, it, even if there was nothing such as that uh, for which the people uh, could uh, specifically repent and ask for forgiveness and repent is more than I'm sorry repent means I will turn from this sin they they would at least at the very least uh, offer a sin offering which is pure grace in 
the law of Moses. We don't usually think of the law of Moses that way, but it's full of grace. Uh, this is for sin that was unknown, the very core of a person that causes us to sin. And we've talked before, Pastor Chuck has taught us before, that out of the, out of the heart the mouth speaketh. And when we sin with our lips, perhaps there's something in our hearts that needs renewal so that those other sins will not happen. Or perhaps we harbor some sin or resentment or grudging against people. Any number of things, but we're not fully aware of it. So the sin offering had to be offered. One of these two offerings had to be offered before the people could go any further toward holiness. The peace or thank offering is the offering that helps us enter in to the holy place. It's, it's either a thanksgiving offering for God's blessing upon the household. It can be the fulfillment of a vow. And we see Jesus and Paul both taking vows during their ministry uh, on this earth. And so uh, a a thank offering or a peace offering or a vow offering, they're all the same, could be offered, shared with their entire family. These are known as the higher offerings, and it is a grateful heart uh, in this journey of sanctification that offers that particular offering. The next offering is called the meal offering. This is different from the meal offering that could be offered by the poor who could not afford an animal. This is a specific offering, and it is bloodless. It is bloodless because it cannot secure atonement, but we see that it is very high up the ladder of what is significant to God's heart. And, and so the book of Leviticus lists these um, offerings in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. But we find that we approach God from here going up. So we're on that ladder moving toward offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. So the meal offering is you, you can see, is very close to the very top. It is precious in the sight of God when his children who know him and want to draw near to him offer up to him the works of our hands, that, that we live in righteousness before him so that we emulate him to a lost world that needs him and they see our good works not for pride for ourselves but to give glory to the Lord. And then finally is the burnt offering, Romans 12.1. I'm sure many of you know it, where we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. So th this is the ladder of the offerings through which the uh, Israelite knew how he could approach a holy God. And then it's also good for us to realize that there was a continual burnt offering being offered by the priests morning and evening that undergirded everything. This was a constant offering that was on the altar and throughout the day, those who brought sin offerings, guilt offerings, peace offerings, thanks offerings, meal offerings, they would all be placed upon the offering that signified 
um, praise, thanks to God for who he is regardless of our circumstances. He is God. So this is the this is the way that Jonah would have been thinking. He would have, um, he would have asked for forgiveness for not obeying the call and recognizing that his, um, his feelings toward his enemies in Nineveh, a ruthless place, he could lose his life going there. His feelings toward them were wrong, and maybe until then they had been unknown even to him. Maybe he hadn't realized what was driving him to run from God. One of the things you learn in the Old Testament is being a prophet is an irrevocable uh, calling. God never says, would you like to be my prophet? He never says, would you like to do this, Moses, Isaiah, all of them? No, he tells them. He tells them. You are a prophet. You will speak my words to the people. So uh, he wasn't able to run away, and that's how he ends up in the Mediterranean Sea going down. <laughs> Sometimes we, we, we look at the... Um, at, at that first part of, of our scriptures and we don't understand the, the fullness of what's in there and the richness that's in there. And I think because of that, it's easy for us to take for granted some of the things that we have and some of the, the blessings that are given to us. And so that's why I asked Arlene to go over this because I feel it's really, really important for us to grasp this. In order for us to fully understand the, the work of the Lord as much as we're capable of, as, as in order for us to understand the work of the cross, we need to understand these, these offerings. And I know a lot of you probably labor over Levit- Leviticus every day in your morning devotion, okay? But the richness that's found there is so important for us. And, and this idea of the Passover and the redemption that comes there And then the guilt and the sin offerings, those are the lower offerings, and they're the required offerings. And then we step into these higher offerings, and and they're the peace or the thank offering, the meal offering. And and this thank offering is the first of the voluntary offerings, okay? The The sin and the guilt, those are required. And I think Arlene's point and the diagram in, in, your, in your bulletin there of the, of the tabernacle, which was the, the footprint of the temple on the temple mount that Solomon built, okay, it, it helps you get an idea of just what the, what the Jewish person would have understood as the steps that were needed in order to get into the holy of holy places, in order to step into that place. And many times for us, we just jump in without understanding all the things that had to occur. Because listen, just because we're not doing these offerings all the time does not mean that they're, still, that they're not still required. It's still required. It's just been fulfilled in our Savior. Does that make sense? I almost feel like I should ask if there's any questions, but that, would, that might slow us down. So let's just carry on, shall we? So the big idea for today is that salvation gives us a song of thanksgiving. And the first point is that salvation comes from the Lord, and you see it right there. Salvation comes from the Lord. And as Jonah is in, in the belly of the fish here, he comes to a place of repentance. 
And that's what's so important to remember, is that apart from repentance, there's no way to embrace salvation. And so as, as Jonah finds himself in the belly of the fish, he finds himself coming to this place of repentance. Now Romans chapter 2 verse 4 tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Okay, God in his kindness leads us to repentance, reveals to us the areas that separate us from him. And in his kindness, he brings that to our, to our attention and to our knowledge. Psalm 103 uh, Psalm 103 tells us this. I'll just read it for you here if you want to turn to it. It's Psalm 103, verse 10. Actually, if we start at like verse 8, it says this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor does he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Amen. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, as we look at this prayer of Jonah chapter 2, it's a, a prayer that Jonah's offering from the belly of the fish. As we look at that, and if you were able to see it, you'll see that there are many psalms that are referred to in there. There's lines from many of the psalms that are found there. And so as we sometimes, we like to say, well, let's imagine what it would be like to be Jonah. And what I'd like us to do is to imagine what it would be like to be Jonah, only really think the way that Jonah thought. Because many times we imagine what it would be like to be Jonah, but we think about it the way that we think. We think about it with the cross and with our salvation and those types of things. But to think about it the way that Jonah thought about it, we need to go through this ladder or this progression of sacrifices. So Jonah gets thrown overboard, and he gets thrown into the belly of a fish. Okay? So we step into that, and we imagine Jonah sitting in the belly of a fish. And it's pitch black. Does he know he's in a fish? I don't know. Can you imagine what it smells like in the belly of a fish? They smell bad on the outside. In the belly of a fish, in the darkness, in despair, in, in anguish, in the depths, he describes it as, I'm in the depths. The seaweed is entangled around me. And he's in the belly of the fish, confused, frustrated perhaps, maybe some anger. I wonder how long he sat in the belly of the fish being mad about his situation or how soon was it before he started thinking of what it was that caused him to be there? And as he sat there, verse 7 says, I remembered the Lord and I lifted up my prayer toward the holy temple. So it, it seems to me at some point as he sat in the belly of the fish in the darkness and the despair, considering and thinking that he started to remember the temple. He started to remember the temple. He remembered the Lord. 
And that's what led him to a place of repentance. See, the kindness of God led him to a place of repentance. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now, you may remember in Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon dedicated this temple that Jonah would be thinking of, he said this, he said, when a, when a prayer or plead is made by any of your people of Israel, each one aware of the afflictions of his own heart, spreading out his hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act, deal with each man according to all he does, since you know his heart for you alone know the hearts of all men, so that they may fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our fathers. So what we see happening here is we see at this moment in time as, as Jonah is in the belly of this fish that God is answering the prayer of Solomon. You see that? Because the prayer of Solomon is that if somebody should turn toward you, Lord, and, and spread out their hands toward you, hear from heaven and forgive them. And so as Jonah, in the belly of the fish, turns to the Lord, remembers the Lord, and his prayer rises to him, and he turns to the holy temple, he finds the forgiveness of the Lord and is able to cry out, salvation comes from the Lord. As he remembered the temple, I'm confident, and I don't know this, but I believe it's true that he remembered that continual burnt offering. He remembered the steps that were needed for him to come to a place where he was clean before the Lord. Imagine if you came to church today and, and you got here and you were all allowed to be in the parking lot. The only, that's the closest you could come. You would be in the parking lot. Then the men could come in the lobby. Sorry. But this room was just kept. One day a year, one person would come into this room. See, that's the idea of the temple and of the tabernacle. Not exactly, you understand that. So Jonah would have thought, and I, I believe, you know how, small, how, how strong the sense of smell is for you as you think of that? And, and I think he would have smelled this burnt offering that would have been continually before the Lord. And I think he would have smelled and remembered the sin offerings that he had given and the guilt offerings that he had given. I think he would have remembered the sins that he had repented of. I think he would have remembered the offerings that were given for sins he didn't know about. And I think in the midst of all of that, it turns him to the song of thanksgiving. Because he remembers that salvation comes from the Lord. Arlene helped us understand that the very first step, what what, what underlies them all is the Passover. It's in the Passover that, that there comes the, re, the, the repentance that leads to an acceptance to God, an acceptance of the nation Israel. 
But for us, that comes as we recognize our need for a Savior because of the sin in our lives. And as we turn and we trust Jesus as our Savior, then you, you see that Jesus is the Passover lamb, right? And, and as we turn to him, then, then what happens is his sacrifice as the Passover lamb becomes efficacious for us. It becomes effective for us. It, it's credited to us. Prior to that, it's not. And you understand that's like when the Israelites did this and the firstborn were going to be killed and those who sacrificed the Passover lamb and placed the, the blood on the doorpost and threshold, for them they were set apart. But if there was no blood, they weren't set apart. So the Passover lamb is not effective for you unless you've trusted him and, and trusted the blood sacrifice that he's made. But once you've done that, then comes the sacrifice for sin and for guilt and salvation that comes from the Lord. So have you found your salvation in the Lord? The second thing we see is that worthless idols distract us from God's grace. As Jonah's in the belly of the fish, he comes to a place where he realizes that, that clinging to worthless, worthless idols causes, causes us to forfeit the grace. I wonder as he sat there in the darkness and in the despair, what was it? that he saw as his idol? What were the idols that he saw? As Arlene said, many times we don't notice the grace that's, that's shown all throughout the Old Testament. And here is, is one place where we see that, this grace, this unfailing love, the steadfast love, the mercy of God that's revealed. But, but it's like if we come to him and we're clinging to these things that are are imposters or, or things that are, are, are getting in the way of our relationship with him. If, if we come with those things that we're clinging on to and the Lord says, okay, I want to give you some grace and you're like, okay. And he says, you got to open your hands and you're like, but I'm clinging on to these idols that have become so precious to me. Can't you just like dump some on top of these? And he's like, no, no. If you don't let go of those, you forfeit the grace you could have. And he doesn't pry your hands open. It's your job to do that. It's your job to release the idols that you're clinging to. Now, what are the idols in your life? And what, what are those things that you're clinging on to that, that cause you to forfeit the grace that God longs to bring into your life? And I would say to you that some of those things can be good things. Things that we believe are good, but they, they stand in the way of what God's calling us to do. See, God called Jonah, said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And as Arlene said, it wasn't an option. He was to go. He was called to be a prophet. God didn't say, Jonah, you got anything on the daytimer? Because I need someone to go to Nineveh. Could it be you? He said, go. And Jonah had the message of God. God had entrusted Jonah with his message for the people of Nineveh. And now Jonah had an option. What would he do with that message he'd been given by God to take to Nineveh. And what did he do? 
He clung on to it. He, he clung on to it. Now, it's hard for us to understand what does it mean to be called to go to Nineveh? Because there's all these layers involved here. The people of Nineveh were, Nineveh were not good people. They were evil people. It was an evil city, and they were evil people. And they hated the Israelites. They hated them with a passion. It was like enemies. So it's like telling Jonah to walk into Nineveh was telling him to walk into the enemy camp. And, and text tells us it would have taken three days to walk through Nineveh. And so God said to, to Jonah, go walk into the enemy camp and say, you guys are abusing God. And his judgment is coming on you. Who's signing up for that one? So there's a fear. But there's also, listen, they hate me. And if someone hates you, generally speaking, what's your response back to that person? Yeah, stay away from them. Maybe I don't like them either. You like me first, I'll like you. You know, I mean that, right? So here he's told to go to people he doesn't like, apparently, and people he's afraid of, apparently, and give a message that's just going to make him more mad from his perception. Two weeks in a row, as we've stood on the platform, we've talked about terrorist acts around the world. There's a, a group of people who are who are, who are bound and determined. They're, it's evil. It's evil what's happening with, with ISIS and these things. And, and we need to understand that. And we need to believe that. And I, I'm amazed when I read Dave and April's updates. Because as they're there, they have this deep love for these people that many of us are afraid of. Now, not the ISIS necessarily, but the Muslim people. They have this love for them. And that's what a missionary is. They, they step into these things and they step into dangerous places and they have a love for them. But how are we doing? Because just like the prophet was given a command, we were given a command. Go and tell. Go be my witnesses. Go tell the truth of what we know. How are we doing with that? We're, we're having a hard time doing it with people we're friendly with. Are we stepping into people that we're afraid of? And I know there's all sorts of conversation and discussion about whether or not we should have refugees and those types of things. And, you know, I don't want to get political up here, but I love what John Piper wrote. He said, you know, we've got all these unreached people groups that we're trying to get into. And as these refugees come, there's the potential of having 18 unreached people groups step into America. How huge is that? That right next door to us, there could be 18 unreached people groups who would never otherwise hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they come in. Now, I understand it's scary because some of those people wait you remember why we're here, right? We're celebrating Thanksgiving. You remember the whole story of why we're here? 
these religious refugees in a boat called the Mayflower. And some of the guys on that boat were scary. Yeah. What does that mean in relation to this? It means, listen, we've been given a message, and if we're not careful, we can hold it for ourselves and not share it. It's important that we're sharing it. And somehow, in the midst of, in the, midst of, the, of the fish, Jonah came to an understanding that what he was doing was wrong, and he repented. And he calls to us, and God's preserved it for us, to say, what are your idols? Do you have defined what a perfect relationship is with one of your friends or, or your spouse, and you've designed what that relationship is, and, and if it's not that, you know, is that an idol that you're clinging to? Is there some job that you have that you're holding out for? Is there some level of success? Is there, is there something you're holding on to as an idol? Is there some grief that you have, some, some angst that you just won't let go of because it's become precious to you and it's become an idol for you? God's grace can't touch those places if you don't open your hands to him and allow his grace to come in and flow over those things in amazing ways. If we don't do that, we get distracted by God or from God. So what are the things in your life that distract you from celebrating salvation? And how does it keep you from dancing in God's grace and his steadfast love? God gives you grace for every moment. He gives you grace for every moment to the point if you had a vault and, and I don't know if this analogy really catches on for anybody, but it does for me. If you had this huge vault full of gold coins and you could go into it at any time and take a gold coin anytime you wanted and the room would never empty, it would constantly be full of gold coins. Yeah. The way I'm wired, I think of grace that way. So stay with me. If you don't get it, come talk to me afterwards. But it's this idea of grace. Each moment, I have a gold coin of grace. The power of God into my life for that moment. And I have a choice. Either live that moment in the power of God or live it in my own power, in my own thought, in my own nature. And every moment I have opportunity to take the grace of God for that moment or to forfeit it, and that gold coin goes away, never to be found again. I can't bring the grace back into that moment. So if I'm clinging to something, I'm forfeiting the grace of God that could come into that place. So listen, if you're in a place of angst, you can come to a place where you can let that go and be washed over by the grace of God. It's interesting that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And that repentance brings the salvation. It's, it's apart from repentance, salvation is impossible. But then the repentance brings the realization of what those worthless idols are for us. 
And I think that's important when we think of known sins and unknown sins, which those are. Finally, we see that a sacrifice of thanksgiving is the response. Repentance brings this desire to offer thanks back to God. So in the belly of the fish, Jonah cries out, I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Now what, we, what we've learned about the sacrifice is we realize this is a voluntary sacrifice. And so in the depth of the waters, in the belly of the fish, as he comes to the repentance that allows him to bask in the salvation of God, as he realizes the worthless idols he's been holding on to, as he releases those, he's able to lift his hands to heaven and say, 